We're back. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Queer Sounds. My name is Hannah, pronouns they, them. It's a podcast that examines queer people's taste in music. And today with me, we've got Romy. Romy, welcome. Uh, thank you. Why don't you introduce yourself, your name, your uh, pronouns, what you do in daily life, etc., etc., etc. So, my name is Romy. I'm 27 years old. I work as a service desk Customer support? Yeah, kind of, kind of like that. And um, my pronouns are he and um, him and she and her. All right, so pretty much interchangeable. What made you decide on that? Well, she's going to dive right in. Why why are he and she interchangeable for you? Uh, They're interchangeable for me because I identify as androgynous. So I feel like um, I'm male and female, and I feel like that is based on like the energy that I express myself with, and I feel like that's interchangeable. So my pronouns should also be interchangeable. All right, it's um, really fun how our experiences are basically the complete opposite of each other because you be, feel both male and female, and I feel neither. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I wonder how, how we'll dive into that, if we're going to come across anything uh, fun or conflicting or maybe some something that we have in common, who knows. Um, reason why I invited you is because uh, we know each other through various uh, trans-related things. Uh, but most of all, and I think that that's where you really have a story, is that you might be one of the Netherlands' most visible non-cis person. I've... Uh, looked at, at, at a link uh, link tree you've got and it's got like 18 different types of videos, books that you've been part of. Why, how did that came to be? What's your motivation behind that all? I, um, I actually felt like I wasn't really represented and that really inspired me to be a representation myself for, I don't know, I feel like everyone who will feel represented by me and then i also think about like intersectional um representation because i'm a person Mm -hmm. of color uh, for example and i feel like that's also really important um my story wasn't that much around i feel like i don't have the the typical stories that are a lot out there in the media and i just really wanted to diversify the, um, yeah, I think the representation and the, the stories and everything that's that's already out there. All right, I've, um, uh, amongst others on that list, you've got YouTube videos, uh, books, documentaries, a whole lot of things. Uh, what was the most fun experience for you? Oh, that's a good one. Um, well, I think I think the YouTube video was the most uh, fun because I just really like to um, to talk, and I feel like with the previous interviews I've done, um, it's always like a summary of what you've been talking about, and I feel like after we finish this, this will probably be my most fun because this <laughs> is a first, also. Well, thank you. Um, 
But then the YouTube videos, how did that came to be? Did people just reach out to you or do you reach out to others like, hey, I want I want to take part in this. I want to actively contribute to representation. So if you want to interview me, here I am. Or uh, Well, yeah, they actually reached out to me. So I had a video with, uh, I forgot his full name, but it's Bram. Bram de Weiss. Yeah, Bram yeah. de Weiss. And he actually reached out to me uh, through Instagram, for example. Um, and I think that that's mostly how it just goes. Like, people just reach out to me. How do people find you? Just through Instagram or...? Well, that, that's also a good question because I actually never ask them. Sometimes they yeah. tell me. They they tell me that uh, someone sent, like, an article or or anything in that, in that sense. But um, I think it's social media. And I think uh, the articles, because they reach the most people. And then once you find my name or like my Instagram handle or something like that, you'll find me anywhere, I guess. All right, we'll pick up on uh, social media uh, later this conversation. But do you feel like there is a snowball effect there? Do you feel like you're invited more often just because you're actively trying to contribute to representation? Uh, I think I, I think I do, yeah. Um, because like when I had the first interview, that was about gender bending, and uh, that was for like a like yeah like a magazine for I think mostly women, mm-hmm. and um, it was more so a fashion kind of lens. So it was like uh, as a gender bending person, how do you express that? And then also like a side tangent about. Uh, identity mm-hmm. and well someone from Vice found me next because of that so I think it it's uh, mostly snowballing right but with that article it kind of sounded like um, uh, it, it was from a fashion type perspective as a gender non-conforming person but mm. still specifically assigned female at birth is that correct um, not specifically no oh alright that's to be honest that's quite a relief um Moving right along, we're going to move on to our first track of the day. Uh, it's actually a personal favorite of mine uh, because I'm a sucker for 80s pop. Here we go.
and I love fucking love Wham. I'm just I'm gonna really earn that explicit mark on iTunes right now. But <laughs> god damn it. One of my per- personal favorites, Wham, uh, The Edge of Heaven, music from The Edge of Heaven, officially their last album in 1986. So, Romy, indulge me. Why did you pick this track? I picked this track because it's kind of, uh, like you said, it's good 80s pop music, and that's that's that on its own is, is like my childhood memory. So my parents, um, they were teens in the 80s, and they became parents really young. So they indulged me into pop culture, 80s pop culture. And that's uh, that was also really helpful for me, um, trying to find representation because androgyny was like popular culture at mm-hmm. that point. And um, I feel like because they indulged me into, or in um, 80s pop culture, I find I found myself represented by the androgynous pop stars. All right, George Michael being one of them. George Michael being one of them. Yeah, and uh, I specifically choose this track because I I just have like this vivid memory of being on the road as um, as a young kid. Like when my uh, father drove me to school early in the morning, and we just for some reason always had this '80s pop music on, and then I don't know, it just felt like like. Uh, like my childhood how often do you actually listen to 80s pop music because me personally I listen to it all the time uh, yeah me too actually yeah I think there there's not a day I don't listen to it oh wow then you actually do listen to it more often than I do any 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 more favorites uh, when it comes to 80s pop music Uh, when it comes to 80s pop music um yes I do love Prince I love Michael Jackson, obviously. Um, I love the Human League. I love the Pet Shop Boys. <laughs> all the big names, all the classics. Clax- yeah, classics. But I also love, like, uh, Ready for the World. That's uh, it's more like African American eighties. All right, yeah. Pop music. I don't know if you know know them or like any pop groups, but they're also pretty pretty nice all right right on uh and then wem specifically um how do you did it resonate with you because of the the androgyny that like you said but also because of their political activation activism for example like the choose life shirts and wake me up before you go go thing um did you catch up on that at a later age maybe Uh, i did not catch up on that um but i think that as a kid because I was introduced to it as a child um, I think it just resonated with how I felt about um, expression in general mm-hmm. about uh, life and it was just powerful and happy in the right way I guess just yeah what made Wham stick out like like you mentioned Michael Jackson uh, Prince mm-hmm. all of those other um, somewhat over-the-top 80s pop bands, what made Wham stick out to you? I think um, the whole thing with George Michael, uh, like uh, women swooning over him, and then the whole debate about uh, whether he'd be homosexual or not. And then him coming out of the closet, and then 
<laughs> people still deciding that they would not stop swooning over him regardless. Right. I think that that is why it just really um, attracted me. All right. So the the you know the literally being desired from several angles, or the we're not gonna we're not gonna let your sexuality stop us admire you. Yes, the the last one because I feel like in a sense that also is um, how androgyny works because it's about the person, right? Mm-hmm. I and feel so. Yeah, so yeah, I I also feel so. So I I don't know. I could really resonate with that. I feel like it's about a person. It always is, and um, if you are gonna. Uh, let sexuality stop you or gender stop you, then you're just restricting yourself. Right, but I do feel like when it comes to George Michael, you picked one of the lesser androgynous looking ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that a conscious decision? Was that a conscious decision? Uh, no, not really, actually. It was not a conscious decision, but I feel like androgyny doesn't always have to be explicit and visual. I don't feel like androgyny always have to be explicit and uh, visual like we're used to it, uh, as, such as um, Grace Jones, for example. I feel like androgyny can also be within the expression, like the energy. And I feel like energy is more a feeling than something visual. So I think that George Michael can also be androgynous in that sense. And I feel like a lot of people can be androgynous in that sense. Uh, But we are mainly focused on being visually androgynous. So like seeing a person and not being able to decide uh, whether they are male or female. That's that's our um, most go-to thing when we think about androgyny. Right, so it's not necessarily a looks thing, it's more of an aura thing. Yeah, I feel so. How do you feel about that with your own aura? Do you feel like you explicitly send out uh, both male and female aura, or how does that work for you personally? Uh, Well, based on how people treat me, based on how people respond to me, I think that... um, that my aura is sometimes interpreted as female, sometimes interpreted as male. And I've had that, like, yeah, I've had that my whole life. And I don't necessarily feel like people um, thought of me as androgynous because of how I looked. And that's why I felt like it had to be aura. Because for some reason, it was just, there was just always a different thing with me compared to other people, like how they treated me and how they, not just how they, they, they experienced me. Right, just kind of didn't matter how you looked, people would always treat you like neither male nor female or both. Exactly. How did you cope with that? Because that sounds very confusing. Uh, well, actually, I, I found it very pleasant. Oh, really? Yes. Yes, because um, when I was younger... I um I obviously thought that um being masculine was a neutral like a neutral expression because being feminine is so um like it's it's how do you say that it's um well, I feel socially like, charged maybe yeah I feel like 
I feel like um yeah, I feel like feminine expression is socially charged. And then uh so I I automatically leaned more towards the neutral expression which um would have been masculine. And then even though um even though I clearly wasn't male at that point uh also to others uh they just really felt the the, the natural energy and I just really liked um that it, it because it felt like they could just see through my skin and then stare right into my soul and that was that was why I just experienced it as experienced it as really pleasant does that make sense I'm just trying to comprehend it all. So you feel like you would lean towards a more male presentation because that because of probably social misogyny and male is more con- socially seen as the standard, yeah, as a neutral form of expression. And from there on, you would still have the feeling people would be able to see through that as if people were making a conscious decision not to perceive you as male even though you looked like it am i interpreting that correctly uh almost so they um like they would let me let me try to put it like this so they treated me more often as male but also never forgetting i was then like female assigned at birth so um but then there was also the distinction of um like let's say tomboyish kind of women they would also be treated differently so there was just something different about me and i felt like that had to do with my aura like they could just feel what the truth was instead of um just responding on male presentation female assigned at birth and and knowing that all right and how did you go from there like how did you go from being perceived as both male and female or perceived as male but having some female touches i don't know how 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 did you move from from where you were then to where you are now um well when i was a student uh i actually met a lot of uh queer people and that was actually the first time for me to uh encounter queer people and um just learn about queer culture very explicitly because i think that with um 80s pop culture i learned it most of the time like implicitly and um that was just normal to me so i also didn't know any better but then they kind of indulged me into like um like taking care of your expression and thinking about it and um just being really aware of how people perceive you um and also a lot of friends uh at that time when i was really working on my expression and trying to feel what's right uh they also just like out of the blue they just really started to introduce me as like as this is romy this is just it's you just have to experience romy we cannot explain to you <laughs> who they are they wouldn't say they but that's what they meant right yeah right so um so that also really helped me 
Um, and the, from there, I actually just went on a sort of, yeah, I think like a sort of journey in finding more uh, expression and also um, having some more introspection and um, like committing to uh, hormonal treatment. And yeah, I think that all all of that brought me to where I am today. Has there ever been a point where you used they them pronouns? Why made you decide not to go with them? Um, well, the main reason for me to not go with they them pronouns is because in Dutch, um, they don't sound nice to me. And I I find that very important. I find it important that they also just sound right, sound nice. And until we have pronouns I can really relate to, I feel like uh, he and him and she and her is uh, is fine, actually. All right, that's fair. Um, it's about time we're going to move right along to the second track. All right, here we go. It's a track called LGBT by Cupcake. LGBT by Cupcake, um, American artist, rapper, only 22, um, I think. Anyway, a lot younger than I am. Um, but, Romy, yes. enlighten us. I, I wonder why you picked this track. Yes, well... Certainly isn't title. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I picked this track because... I feel like this is the ultimate LGBT anthem. And uh, the reason I feel like that is because it is such a strong, uh, a strong, powerful, um, I am what I am kind of um, song. And while I say that, I just kind of visualize critics talking about um, Born This Way or like any other kind of song that could have been uh, the, the LGBT anthem mm-hmm. um, but um, I also grew up with hip hop and hip hop has uh, the capacity and also the ability to just be extremely powerful because hip hop is not necessarily intricate but it can go very deep and it can hit very hard and I feel like um, 
an LGBT anthem, a hip hop LGBT anthem, is also very very necessary. The song is really explicit, but that is not necessarily a bad thing. Also, because Cupcake is a artist who is really big on sex positivity, body positivity, and just a lot of different things that are also a part of just being yourself and feeling that of like feeling your own power right and well if we go back to like the history of queer culture you know i feel like the same way how hip hop was born is how queer culture was born you know it was it was resistance it was a fight and i feel like that power also like it really comes together in a song like this an artist being explicit like this because a fight is not pretty right right and with that i mean it also seems like it makes a lot more sense for a person of color to make a queer anthem over your other skinny white girl i don't know is that is that just me or is that something caused by my own push for diversity um not to pat myself too much on the shoulder there um well yeah i don't know i because i might also be biased on that so i i'm not sure but to me it makes a lot of sense also because queer culture for the most part is rooted in african american culture so mm-hmm. like <laughs> you know the um, so you might just say that it goes for full circle with this song all right yeah that actually makes sense and from a historical perspective too right if there wouldn't have been any battle against segregation there also wouldn't be any Stonewall riots because that's where they learned how to riot basically mm. isn't it yeah uh moving on to the artist herself um cupcake it's supposed to be queer artist of the week but i couldn't find any sources that would explicitly mention her as queer or in which she would m- say herself that she had any experience with partners of the same sex um so what's the deal there is it just the importance of allyship that made you choose this track or Well, I have to uh I have to admit that I also really try to find any sources of uh her being queer. Um but I think that's also the thing with being queer. I feel like being queer is in its essence it's non-conforming and I feel like she is non-conforming. Um so like I would not say that um if i think she's queer then she's queer but just like the the whole the whole non-conforming energy she adds with her allyship if she would be an ally and let's say for the sake of the argument that she is that is also really important because when it comes to allyships we we always feel like um like conforming heterosexual cisgender people i think um sh- are the allies but that's not always the case i think i i feel like there's there's this really strength in in um allies like cupcake all right so um if i may put it this way you kind of see her as something more than your token straight friend i see her as more than my token straight friend but also more than my like my token ally right. i think she's just really good example of an ally and we also need that like we need allies but we also need good allies we don't need 
um, like any person who is willing to like hold a rainbow flag and wave it around sometime. Is someone who speaks up without someone with without a queer person needing to be harassed for that first, so to speak. Exactly. And she speaks up, she empowers like the whole song is really empowering. You know, she she has uh she has this lyric this lyric where she goes, um shout out to the bias, you don't gotta pick a side. Yeah. Uh, and if you're in the closet, you don't have to hide. Like that's, like we need that. Is there a connection there between her allyship and your your queerness? Do you feel like those are inherently connected? Something that speaks to you specifically? Um, yes, I think what speaks to me specifically and how I feel connected to her is through hip hop because hip hop to me basically is. Um, the voice of like the African diaspora. Well, I myself am also a product of the whole diaspora. I'm part of it. And I feel like the language she speaks, so to say, is why I feel inherently connected with her. It also ties back into the importance of media representation in you as a person of color being represented in hip-hop more than maybe, dare I say, any other genre? Uh, I think there's truth in that, yes. And also, um, LGBT and hip-hop haven't always been the best of friends um, when it comes to representation. Now there's like LGBT rappers coming up. It's also important to have strong LGBT-allied rappers. And Cupcake is, is the best example um, I could think of and I feel for. All right, let's let's talk about let's talk about this a bit more because you're from a Suriname family. Mm-hmm. How did your queerness tie into that? Were there any struggles? I feel that um, because Suriname is a it, like it's it's a it's a nation with like a really young culture to start with. And we have a lot of different cultures. Um, so I think the culture that was most prevalent in my upbringing was the Creole culture. Um, so basically African culture. And I feel like African culture is really tribe. It's really tribal. So we're really community-based. And I felt that. I felt that through uh, my years as a, as a young child and that my parents would just love me unconditionally. And I feel like that unconditional love um, paved the way for me to just always feel comfortable even when my parents disagreed on anything with me. And that was really nice because you cannot agree uh, on any... uh, You could not always agree on every important issue with people you love. Um, But that also does not have to mean that you have to... Uh, like um, you have to hold it against them or uh, that they could just decide to love you less because of that disagreement. And I really felt that because of the unconditional love. Um, So that was a big part for me. Uh, What also was a big part is that I think through African culture, in the Surinamese culture, uh, for as much as I have experienced, we also have like a a spiritual kind of um 
thing where we believe that uh, people could have like a masculine soul or like a feminine soul regardless of the bodies they have and I would feel like that's kind of the way they would like they would express androgyny we would be able to encounter people and then for example say that um, this person has a female body but has a masculine soul and then right we would just understand naturally that this is just how that person is so i don't know it's it was just it was legit i feel like that also is inherently connected to what you explained earlier like the entire aura thing rather than the the, the vision aspect of it all the visual aspect exactly and like it's not it's not like it's ever it ever had been explained to me like that explicitly but when i was really young and um like like four or five years old and i first started to realize how i was different from people around me i also came to the conclusion that i was just that uh, i was just someone with a female body but a masculine soul and that was right how that that was just my reality um yeah and i felt like like everyone just understood would you explain the same way now well yeah and no because now i more feel like we not we do not necessarily have a female or, or like a masculine or a feminine energy or um like solely one of them but i feel like we we are all balanced the way i see it and that's also because i've um i've uh, found in in uh, sexological research that brains are bisexual in nature so that got me thinking like it would be it would make a lot more sense for us to be bisexual as the de- by default and also be like balanced in femininity and masculinity by default and that there would be exceptions in where you would be explicitly uh straight or explicitly gay and also explicitly male or explicitly female just that that would just make make a lot more sense than um the other way around like we feel it now right um so that's kind of how it changed for me that's also why i'm talking about energy and that's also um with my pronouns why i feel like uh both are fine because sometimes you want to address my masculine feeling energy and sometimes you want to address my feminine feeling energy but they're both parts of me they're not different parts of me they're not opposites they're complementary um and so, do you see yeah. what i'm getting at yeah i kind of i kind of get what i'm feeling what i want to talk about more though um you mentioned an inherent unconditional love from your parents do you feel like that was uh and you also mentioned that's part of the Suriname Creole culture do you feel like it would have been easier for you to be trans there than if you would have been born like a western european society um not necessarily no because um for one i did not have as much hardships as i could have right. being born here and that's also the main reason why i find it difficult to to think of it like how it could have been in suriname uh and also like western influence has also messed up a lot so we might have that part culturally but then also we have like a lot of 
different things going on um like politically and right yeah. um like also media influences you and then it could also just become really dangerous regardless of like cultural norms and that's i think i'm I think I'm fine. <laughs> I think I'm fine right here, in that All sense. All right. Yeah. I mean, you look fine. Uh, <laughs> you seem. You seem. You seem happy. You seem confident with yourself. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Um, with that, let's just dive right in. This might just be the happiest track we've ever had on this podcast. Also, the first DJ producer, rather than just a band for a live act. And boy, is it a welcome change. Um, so, you're a, Romy, you're a DJ yourself in your free time. Is this why you picked this track? Or what is, what's your motivation behind this one? Well, I think, um, I think being a DJ had a little bit to do with it. In the sense that... I'm not sure if I would have ever found out about this artist if I wasn't a DJ. But uh, as someone who really loves music, um, this track really speaks to me because I went to see him live. And it is just really something different to see a track like this being um, being played live. Right. It, How did you find out about him then? Is it just you were browsing through records or discovering new music through whichever means? Uh, well, looking for inspiration. Mm, I have to think a little bit about that because I think I found out because when I think it started with uh, trying to learn an instrument and through learning an instrument, uh, my taste of music broadened. And through that, I really uh, felt that I wanted to try DJing. Um, so I was open to new styles of music. 
and um, I had friends bringing me to all these like alternative dance parties and uh, like these these uh, illegal raves and stuff and just introducing me to music that I've never heard before. And I think Hudson Mohawk wasn't that big back then when I really started to get to know him. So I I really enjoyed him in my spare time and then this track uh, was actually on his then uh, most recent album and all the way the album lantern 2015 yeah and then all the way uh, when i uh, was djing at my student association uh, i also met like other djs there who really liked this artist and i always thought that it was so niche that no one would have so let's take a step back what made you want to be a dj in the first place over something like drums or guitar um so when i listen to music music really dictates something within me and most of the time that's dance but it just it just works really well on me it's just uh, like mood and energy and um and i felt like djing is a way to be able to give others that experience that same experience um and of course i'm not sure whether everyone like experiences it as intense as i do but i could at least try to uh, create an experience for listeners or dancers to uh, replicate that then the big day itself came you saw hudson mohawk live where was it what was it what how are you feeling it was um i think it was in amsterdam for sure but i think it was the Melkweg or paradiso I'm, i'm not sure anymore yeah it was it was wild <laughs> it was wild it was so you had Hudson Hudson and then you had like uh, a drummer on like an electronic drum kit and i think there was someone else also i don't remember that vividly i just know for sure those two were there and the third person was either doing like the whole light show because there was a light oh, wow. light show going on there was like a real like a like a whole constellation um uh, which made the experience so much intenser and then the, the drummer drummed the whole drum track live that's impressive exactly and that that's just so the, the the live drumming the lights and then hudson doing all the other sounds and um making an extensive performance of it of course extensive performance um that was just yeah this just blew me away and exact like uh, um specifically this number because he he did a lot of songs but this song really really got to me i think he opened with this song and like he made he made like an uh, like an extensive f- like it just it just went on for minutes minutes right. and minutes like a super long intro and um, like so you walk into the venue you've been looking forward to it yeah. and you, you see a whole crowd ready to party and throw down exactly then walks on the stage slowly builds up yeah. and all of a sudden there's this blast of euphoria yeah all right that this sounds amazing there was also people where um they were like this they started a mosh pit 
and like I, I, <laughs> I'm more of a dancer myself, and I don't feel like moshing is dancing. But I can, I can understand the expression because there's just so much energy, and you just have to do something with it. So, yeah. people started moshing, and it was just. Uh, it's really uh, energetic. Like, like uh, you need to discharge one way or another. Yeah, and I think that's also because I feel like electronic music is, in its essence, just the whole tribal music uh, experience, but then just electronically, right? Yeah. Um, and it's just, and and it's just really beautiful to see the whole f- tribal effect it has on us because it's just drums and sounds basically there's no there's no vocals and then people start also um responding to it really primarily by moshing right. right and just yeah i don't know that's that was just really beautiful and i've never ever experienced that at a concert with a band just like right. that yeah so in that you prefer like live DJ sets over any type of band or um no well I think that depends on the artist right it also depends on personal taste probably probably yeah yeah all right but when it comes to to live sets like uh I've l- listened to Hudson uh, Mohawk I've heard of his music and I feel like I could have seen him somewhere at a festival left or right would the show hold up if it's just a festival tent over this small intimate concert venue oh i'm i'm not sure um and that's because i i'm actually really a late bloomer when it comes to festivals right so um but i have had some experiences and i feel i feel like it really depends on the dj because um in another example i went to fusion festival this year it was my first festival and then uh, I experienced uh, the live set of Yop Yopsa, which is right, yeah. an, an uh, Amsterdam DJ. And like that was a really, really big stage on a really, really, really big festival. But it was intimate. And I think that's just because the energy and like everyone who was there either knew him or just they just flocked because of the energy he was he was uh putting out there with this music and i think that is that is the key i don't think it depends on venue but right. it's just really the the interaction between the artist and uh an audience do you have a personal favorite um uh, like when it comes to generic parties or dj sets or festivals um like as an event yeah um well for me they're just there there are a few things that matter at an event for me it has to be music that gets to me like it really has to move me um and there has to be a good atmosphere and there have to be good people and they're all um interconnected so you cannot have one without the other and sometimes i'm willing to compromise so for example if i go to a party and the people aren't as nice but the music is and then the atmosphere is somewhere halfway i might still consider staying there but i don't do that as often how do you try to recreate the the nice atmosphere yourself like when you're djing yourself how i try to do that well for one when i dj i also enjoy whatever i'm i'm uh, playing so I always dance <laughs> along with whatever I'm playing. I'm never just standing there and being really focused with what I'm doing. 
so I enjoy what I'm doing, and it's visible. I'm visibly enjoying what I'm doing. I'm singing along. I'm dancing along, and that really, that, like that, that really uh, makes people happy to see. So with that, you're setting an example, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, and then I also try to interact with people through the music, but also. Um, like next to the music, so I would I would look at people and wave at people and try to dance with people, right? Um, and also uh, try to play songs that that speak to people in a way that um, when it comes on, they just turn around, look me in the eye, and just try to connect with me as yeah. as a reply. So that's it's just really. That's just really the things I do. So whenever someone turns to the DJ set, looks you in the eye, and you know they're feeling, all right, this is their jam, this yeah. is what I'm going for. All exactly, right, Exactly, yeah. It's a little victory there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ah, that sounds perfect. But we still need to come back to something, because I've seen some pictures of uh, festivals on your Instagram timeline, and we want to come back to that. Uh -huh. So you share a lot. You are very active on Instagram, like <laughs> both with sharing uh, activist statements or just, uh, you know, pictures of you having a good time wherever you are mm -hmm. where does that motivation come from how how did that come to be mm, well um well I, I fought really hard to be where i'm today and i feel like uh i have the right to celebrate that but i also feel like leading by example is the way to go so i feel like by putting it out there um, I hope it inspires people and also, um, like, yeah, I don't know, it inspires people, but I think, I also hope it makes people happy just to see someone enjoying themselves and also to show that happiness isn't really intricate, but it's hard, it's hard work, um, depending on where you start, but, but if you are dedicated to it, you will always get there. In a way, would you say it's another way for you to add to visibility and representation? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I'm always aware of being uh, some form of representation. And for me, it just goes beyond um, uh, being LGBT or queer representation. Because, like I said, it's really intersectional. And um, I think I... I could be seen as a minority in a lot of ways but most of all i'm also human and like as humans we we will always find a way to relate to each other if we want to so mm. i think that being an example and a representation is just really important being conscious of what you um what you show and what you hide um and with that, it's about time we're moving to the last track of the day. Uh, it's a funky little R&B jam.
by the internet um, from the 2018 album Hive Mind and Romy's most recent discovery for today yeah so how did you come across this track um, so I found out about this track like exactly a week ago when I was uh, tripping with a friend around psychedelics <laughs> and uh, I think this really contributed to our uh, psychedelics experience psychedelic experience Oh, that's that sounds like the most intense way to discover new music. <laughs> it was the best way to discover this song. Also with the video clip, we saw it with the clip. It was really, uh, it's really nice. All right. it was really pleasing. Describe the atmosphere. You were sitting on a couch somewhere, or yeah, yeah. Well, exactly like that. So we had been talking for like hours, and then we wanted some new input, and then we uh, we put on some music. Uh, I don't know where we started. I think we started with Vaporwave, actually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, which is really nice on psychedelics. Um, and then it just we just went from there, and uh, then this song came up, and we actually started talking again. So it, at first we weren't listening, but we were looking at the clip, and we like kind of felt it, the 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 whole flow of the song, and then we just stopped talking to to consciously look at the clip and listen to the song and we were just really uh, yeah like really in awe because of it so it made a really good impression alright so you were just kind of chilling and then this track just because of the vibe and the music video made it stand out yeah exactly <laughs> it was quite enjoyable so um, do you discover new music often is it something you actively go looking for or is this something you happen to come across well I I I don't I don't think I do it as act, as actively as I would have wanted to, but that's also because I don't really know what is a good way to do it. So I'm a really big spa- a fan of Spotify, and I try to uh, uh, like look for uh, discover weekly archive uh, kind of music right. and things that get recommended to me based on what I'm listening to, uh, but also uh, artists or or song radios. Um, and yeah, I don't know, like whenever I just hear a good song, I just try to identify that song and um, try to uh, explore the genre some more. I'm just kind of still hung up on how you go from Vaporwave and through what I'm assuming just YouTube related videos yeah. to this. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm just... It's just like. YouTube algorithms, I guess. They're weird, man. Um, but with all of the tracks today, we've had 80s pop, we've got hip-hop, we've got some funk R&B, then there's Hudson Mohawk. Is it representative of your music taste as a whole, or are there still some some holes to fill there? Um, 
Well, no, I think it sums it up because um, I think Hudson Mohawk really represents um, like my love for electronic music uh, or like specifically um, like electronic um, genres, maybe, so to say. Um, like my roots are um, mostly in, in, in hip-hop when it comes to musical education. Uh, so that's also my point of reference uh, most of the time. And then like the 80s pop songs are just, when it comes to pop, that's just that's just my popular that's music. That's your go-to. Yeah, that's just my go-to. But it's also electronic, right? Most right, of it. Right, yeah. So, yeah. I guess this all ties into the overarching question of this podcast uh, as we are moving towards the end of today's episode uh-huh. is what does music mean to you in your daily life? <sighs> wow. Uh, music. Music means everything to me. I think um, I'm a really sensitive person. So, like, every... How do I say that? I just, I just really perceive things intensely, I guess. Um, but there's just something about music that just gets to me, but just sound in general. So I'm always really aware of sound. Right. And I, I, I don't know, I just, when I hear it, there's just a lot of information that just goes through my body and through my mind. And um, I think if I would be deaf, that would be the end of me. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. All right. And with that being the end of you, I reckon that's a nice segue into this being the end of today's episode. Yeah. I want to thank you all again for listening. Um, we'll put Romy's link tree into the show notes to, together with everything else. If you want to reach out to us, you can through Twitter or Tumblr via at QueerSoundPod. Um, if you want to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at uh, QueerSounds.com pod at gmail.com or just go to queersounds.com and yeah we'll see you next episode